with his saints to reign. Revelation chapter 1. He has made us kings with his saints to reign and priests. Every one of us has immediate, unrestrained access into the presence of the Holy God. That's how effective Jesus' work on the cross was. And we reign with him, even in this hostile environment. When Jesus was here, was he reigning over the fallen environment that he walked in? This miracle worker, this speaker of truth, was he reigning? I think we can say he was. And that is what he says, come with me. I will walk with you. Ladies and gentlemen, what we just sang is a powerful, powerful testimony to what our Lord accomplished. We can all give him glory. Isaiah chapter 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, Come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him, David, as a witness to the people a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. 
and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let me do just a little preaching insert. (laughs) I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. When did David cry out for mercy? When he committed adultery? And when he conspired to have the husband, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he conspired to have her husband, Uriah the Hittite, put to death. He committed two sins that should have put him under two piles of rocks. Psalm 51 is his confession of that sin. What is the very first verse? Have mercy on me, O God. And here we are 300 years later. What does Isaiah, the Holy Spirit, say through Isaiah's pen? I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. You know something about David? He knew that when he asked for mercy of the God who loves mercy, he knew he would get mercy. It was a sure thing. Was he put under piles of rocks? No. The God who has authority on earth to forgive sins forgave him. And so he does for us. And what gives him complete liberty in that is what? The death, burial, resurrection, the sacrifice of his son on the cross. All right. Our Lord. The Gospel of John, chapter 17. This entire, this portion of John's Gospel, chapters 13 through 17, is called the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus is in the Upper Room with his disciples, giving them the format for how to walk through this hostile environment that awaits them after he's gone. What provision has been made? What should your outlook be? How can you walk with victory through this hostile environment? And chapter 17, which we're going to focus on, is typically called the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, yes, he is saying this prayer, as John recalls it by the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit enabled him to perfectly recall this prayer, but it is also the prayer, I would suggest to you as we go through it, this is the prayer that Jesus is constantly praying for us as he is serving us in heaven. This is, what, this is his prayer before the Father. And so in John 17, beginning in verse 1, 
the apostle writes, Jesus spoke these words, meaning chapters 13 through 16, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. There is so much in this paragraph. I don't know if we're going to get past this paragraph. So who is this speaking to the Father? This is God the Son who shared in the glory of the Father and the Holy Spirit before the creation of event. Restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world was. Folks, what has Jesus yanked us out of and what has he pulled us into? He has yanked us out of a rightfully deserved eternity in the lake of fire paying the penalty for our sins, ourselves, he's yanked us out of that into his welcoming embrace. His Father so loved us that he sent the Son. The Son so loved us that he obeyed the Father's command and came, and God the Holy Spirit so loved us that he energized the entire process. He, We are going to... St- we do not have any standard of measure to understand the glory that he is going to bring us into. There's no way. But that's what awaits all the children of mercy, is a welcoming glory that we can't even begin to understand. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. How is Jesus in going to the cross and then yanked out of the tomb and welcomed into the presence? How does that glorify the Father? Because this is the Father that sent him to do this. Let me tell you something. The love of the Father sending the Son whom he loved. Eric, you have a son. Would you rather die or have him die? You'd take die. You'd send yourself. All parents would choose death for themselves rather than their children. But God the Father so loved us, he gave his son to pay sins penalty for you. I've told this story a couple times, at least, Several years ago, our daughter, Katie, who is still a sergeant in the U.S. Army, 
was stationed out at Huntington Beach, California. And she was pursuing the Lord. She was an active Christian. And she had a fellow female soldier who was an active Christian, and really, and they were, had become good friends. And that young lady was taking a class at a local college in philosophy. And at the end of the first lecture, the philosophy professor said, the next lecture will be about that horrible, wicked, mean God that told Abraham to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him. Oh no, what's going on? And she went to our daughter, Katie, and said, this is what the professor said he's going to talk about in the next lecture. I don't know what to do with this. And Katie said, well, my dad's a pastor. He'll know how to handle this. So she gave him my phone number. She gave her friend, girlfriend, our fellow soldier, our, my, my phone number. So this gal called me. And she said, what do I do with this? And I said, your professor has Genesis 22, which is where that event is recorded, he has it completely upside down. There is no more powerful passage in the entire Bible that demonstrates God's love than Genesis chapter 22. Did he ask Abraham to do a hard thing? Absolutely he did. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, the son of promise, upon whose life all of the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham were dependent. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, to the place that I will show you and sacrifice him to me there. And it's amazing. Abraham did not even argue with God. He immediately got Isaac got two servants, got a couple donkeys. They loaded the donkeys with the wood. They did everything. And they went two days to the west. And they came to the, the bottom of a hill of a mountain. And, I, and Abraham said to the servants, you stay here while Isaac and I go up the mountain to worship God, and then we will return to you. And they were halfway up the mountain, and Isaac, who is not a little boy, he's carrying the wood on his shoulders for the offering. He's a young man. I have the wood, Daddy. You have the torch. Where's the offering? And Abraham's words, I don't know if he understood what he fully what he was, God will provide himself a sacrifice. They get to the top of the mountain, or almost to the top, build an altar of stone, lay the wood on it, and then Isaac, who definitely could have outrun Abraham, <laughs> allowed himself to be bound, and he was lifted up and laid on the wood, and Abraham was coming down with the knife when God stopped him. And here was a ram caught by its horns in the bush. And so here was the substitute for Isaac. And I said to this young lady, that was a prophetic picture of what God the Father would do for us. And what God stopped 
Abraham from doing, he did not stop himself from doing. He, God the Father, plunged the knife into his son as the sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus paid sins penalty for us and then was yanked out of the tomb and welcomed into the embrace of his Father, and we will share in the glory of that work of sacrifice that pays sin's penalty for us. And what does Jesus pray? Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify. Jesus knows what's on the other side of the cross. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh. What does Jesus say in Matthew 28? To the apostles, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. God's grace and mercy for us didn't stop at the cross. And then, okay, I'm going to send out this message and sit back and twiddle my... No, he is there. Every person who hears the gospel, who responds, they are responding because God gives them the capacity to understand. There are lots of people that hear it that don't. It requires God's merciful work in the immediate for people to understand and allow God's mercy to embrace them. We are children of pride. Left to ourselves, we won't. We will demand that God approve of us. No. The only human being that, fully, that God fully is, approves of is his son. God the Son become flesh, Jesus Christ. And he paid sin's penalty for us. But God enables us to come into his kingdom. That's why in John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born from above. It's heaven's initiative. And this is eternal life, that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? It's knowing God. Isn't this not living forever? Everybody's going to live forever. Eternal life versus eternal death, eternal life is being embraced by the loving God and welcomed into kingdom glory. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. He who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus could authentically say. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Well, he's about to go to the cross. The work isn't finished yet, but that's why I said this is the prayer he's praying now. This is his high priestly prayer now as well as then. This is his prayer now. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Jesus could authentically say, He who has seen me has seen the Father. There is no difference at all 
between the reality of who I am, the words that I am saying, the, the works that I do, and what the Father would be doing if he were personified before you. He who has seen me has seen the Father. I have manifested your name, your reputation, the reality of who you are to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. You gave them to me to be my followers, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. They know this. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. These men have spent three plus years with Jesus constantly. If there was any fault in Jesus, they would have seen it. They would have seen it. They've seen no fault. They know the promises that Jesus has made to them will be carried out. I have given, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came forth from you. How many miracles did Jesus do in their presence? We don't even know. We have, what we have represented and stated in the, in the gospel accounts is a really a very small percentage. Just by way of example, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, <laughs> I love this. You know, the further Jesus got away from Jerusalem, the, more, the bigger his welcome was. He was literally up by Syria, in Galilee, by Syria, and they're bringing people from Syria. It says this in the Matthew text, to be healed. Uncountable multitude of people who have heard about Jesus in Syria, they're coming. He's cleansing lepers. He's casting out demons. He's healing every kind of disease. The further Jesus got from Jerusalem, the bigger and more glorious was his welcome. The closer he got to Jerusalem, the greater the opposition became. Did he do miracles in Jerusalem? Yes, he did. But it's amazing. Jesus glorified the Father, and he gave credit to the Father. I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have authentically placed your faith in Christ, that's us. That's you. The God of creation and glory purposes to bring glory to himself through you and me. He's the qualifier. He's the qualifier to be a useful instrument in his hand. Satan constantly wants to disqualify you in your own mind. He doesn't have that authority. He doesn't have that right. Your qualifier is Jesus. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. 
for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you. Again, this is the prayer he's praying right now for us. As if he is in heaven, he's praying this prayer. I am with you, these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Keep through your name, through your anointing power, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Ouch. Ouch. What had Jesus done just a little bit before? He's still in the upper room. He washed feet. He washed feet. What was the response of the apostles to his washing their feet, which they had refused to do for each other? He washes their feet. They are all in shocked silence until he gets halfway around the table and he starts to wash the feet of Peter. Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. How dare you? You are demeaning yourself. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Well, folks, that foot washing is actually emblematic of what he's going to do in his service for them on the cross. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then wash my head and my hands too. <laughs> no, you already took a bath, Peter. I'm washing your feet. And then he finished washing their feet. Jesus washes our feet, and we are to wash one another's feet. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that may, they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you, have, whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. Judas Iscariot was known from the beginning. That much earlier in, in John chapter 6, Jesus has been speaking, I believe it's in Capernaum, and he's had all these people called disciples as Jesus is laying out to them, I am the bread of life. You need to eat my flesh, and you need to drink my blood. And a whole lot of disciples pulled away from him. The crowds that had gathered around him, he had just fed the 5,000 the day before. And they caught up with him, massive. And Jesus is straight from the shoulder telling them the truth, and the disciples start to pull away. And Jesus says to the apostles, well, fellas, here's your opportunity. You can pull away from me. And Peter, speaking on behalf of the 12, said, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then Jesus says, and this is at least two years before this prayer, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? Jesus always knew there was going to be a betrayer because there's a prophetic pattern in the Old Testament. David's chief advisor 
betrayed him. And it says, David is speaking of that man when he says, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. That statement is quoted about Judas Iscariot in the Gospels. Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you as a devil? The other eleven were kept. They were guarded. Those whom you have given me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You can expect the same response that Jesus got. But the same God who was with Jesus and all of that rejection is with you. Go into all the world. Again, Matthew 28, I'm with you wherever you go. I'm sending you into the world, a hostile environment, and every one of the apostles was martyred. Except for that fellow, John, that, but they did throw him in a pot of boiling oil. It just didn't kill him. Okay. <laughs> I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one, that they would be victorious in the battle. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Let this be, you've heard the expression, a life verse. Let this be your life verse. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Folks, this should be your daily diet. Be in the Word, be in the Word, be consuming the Word, consuming the Word, consuming the Word. Let it become your orientation. By the way, that's what repentance means. It means metanoia, change of mind, change of orientation. Every time we read the Word, as we are getting reoriented to God and oriented to God, we are repenting. We are getting set straight on His path. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus was a man of the word, of the truth. Of the tr Remember when Jesus was that 12-year-old that uh, went with, his, with uh, Joseph and Mary to Jerusalem? And uh, they thought he was part of the caravan going back to Nazareth. And the, at the end of the first day, they started looking for him, couldn't find him. I guess he's still back in Jerusalem. They, went to, they hunted for him, what, three days? They finally found him in the temple. <laughs> Why did it take you so long to find me? You should have known I'd be in my father's house. And oh, by the way, all of the rabbis in the temple are sitting around this kid listening to his wisdom, blown away by this 12-year-old reciting to them 
God's truth and enlightening them, these rabbis, about God's truth. Was Jesus a man of the word? Yes, he was. He's only telling us to follow the same pattern he did. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. I'm a man of the word. I'm a man of the word. I'm a man of the word. I've walked in your understanding and in obedience to you that they also may be sanctified by the truth. We are to be imitators of God as beloved children, says, it says in the Scriptures. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Thank you, Lord. That's us, folks. That's us. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, united together, as you, Father, are in me, and I, and I in you, that we might be one body together, servants of one another. And in our Sunday adult Sunday school class on Sunday morning, we're about to get into that portion of 1 Corinthians where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, but how they are to be enabling, we're there avenues by which we serve one another and build one another up. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, united together in humility as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us by our enabling power, that the world may believe that you sent me. And what was the response of the world that's recorded in the gospel accounts? Look at how they love one another. Let me tell you, folks, that was not a feature, feature of the Roman Greek world. <laughs> Being servants of one another was not a... It was how can we use other people to advance ourselves. And also in the Jewish world, apart from God's enabling power, what was the whole point of being a Pharisee? was to set yourself apart so that other people would admire you and serve your egotistic needs. That's not a servant. Jesus was a servant. So were his apostles. And look at how they love one another. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. And the servant heart that they had was a heart of glory, or to have, was a heart of glory that would lead them to kingdom glory. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me. They don't have to compete with each other for a measure of kingdom glory. I've got more glory for them than they can ever imagine, so... They aren't competing with one another. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me 
and have loved them as you have loved me. The world will know that the God of love, mercy, and grace sent these people because they got transformed by self, from being self-centered idiots into becoming servants of one another. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. When we depart from this body of flesh, we step into the unrestrained presence of God and we behold Jesus in all of his glory and he sweeps us up in his arms. Father, I desire that they also may be with me that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. God the Father's love for God the Son precedes the creation. It is there, you, no matter how far back you go, go in eternity past, the Father is loving the Son. The Father is loving the Son. And the Son is loving the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is loving the Father. And the, <laughs> the love in the triunity the tri of the triune God, their love for one another cannot be measured. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, the reality of who you are, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, that it may be replicated in them, and I in them, the love and even my own presence will be replicated in them. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the book Brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. These are not Romans. They are the temple guards. From the chief priests and Pharisees, there came, they came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. <laughs> How much power walked with Jesus that all he had to do was say, I am he, and all of these guards collapsed? They're not throwing him in chains and dragging him away. <laughs> he, 
He is utterly in charge of the entire process. He is doing this willingly. Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? Now we know from the other gospel accounts that Jesus actually took that ear and reattached it to the head of Malchus. You know, do you think there's a possibility when we get into the presence of Jesus, we might actually meet this fellow named Malchus, (laughs) whom Jesus healed? I think there's a possibility. God loves mercy. The next part of the narrative is what we're going to be celebrating right now as we come to the Lord's table. Because what did Jesus do? Jesus went to the cross the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, all of the judgment due to the human race for an eternity in the lake of fire was poured out on him so that his Holy Father would have perfect freedom to forgive every kind of sinner. Every kind of sinner. Don't ever think you've out-sinned any possibility of God's forgiveness. I've had people actually literally say that to me. Oh, you don't know what I've done. No, God does, and his son paid the penalty for that. God so loved the world. And in the New Testament, the world is the people who are aliens from God. God so loved those who hate him that he gave his only begotten son. And that's what we're celebrating here with the Lord's table. Going to ask Master Stephen Meek. Oh, (laughs) and Bob to join me here. going to ask Stephen to give thanks for the broken body of our Lord. Lord, we come to you today on this Easter Sunday to worship you as you paid the penalty for our, for our sins. 
not only did you pay the penalty for our sins, but you paid the penalty for the sins of, of the Jews who were born into the religion. And you paid, you paid, our, you paid our penalty, Lord, and we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I ask that you retain the bread until everyone's been served, and then we will partake together. The Apostle writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Bob, would you give thanks for the cup? Holy Father, your son Jesus says that we eat with his flesh and that we drink his blood. We do this, Lord God, symbolically now in remembrance of him. We ask you, Lord God, free us up. Free us in the name, but you cleanse us. You cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen.
the apostle continues. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Would you please stand and we will close with the simple chorus.